Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast. It's exciting because we're going to talk about Firestorm for once. Uh, this is a proud member, by the way, of the Fire and Water podcast network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Departing Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Uh, departing? Well, we're going to be talking about Jerry Conway's final issues on Firestorm. So I was just, this is more like wishful thinking for me that you might actually leave the show with this, but Wow. Uh, no, I mean, many of you are probably wondering, why is Rob even on this episode? And I'm wondering that myself. <laughs> uh, basically, I'm here to talk about one panel of one issue of the comics we'll be covering tonight. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I sit through a lot of Aquaman crap for you, sir. I'm just saying. What, what Aquaman crap have you sat through? It, was it the Steve Skeets Jim Apparel comics? Was it the J.M. Demetrius? Dick Giordano comics, that crap? Is that what we're talking about? I take the fifth because I like some of those people, but I don't always like all their work. So anyway, uh, folks, we are back to talk about Firestorm Classic. Classic, as my friend Rob likes to say. Uh, we're going to be covering a whole crap ton of comics to kind of catch up and also blow through some of these. And honestly, we're going to be blowing through them so, because not all of them are great. Uh, the last time, I'm just calling it, calling <laughs> it what it is. keep listening anyway, people. No, I think the coverage is going to be exceptional. It's some of the comics that aren't the best. And you know what? The writer himself even says that. We'll talk about that later. So the last time we did Firestorm Reviews was back in January, about nine months ago, which is uh, Fury, uh, which is Fire and Water Podcast number 230, I'm sorry, 224. So uh, if you need to go back and refresh your memory, check that one out. And we will be covering the end of the Jerry Conway era. Now, keep in mind, Jerry Conway, co-creator of Firestorm along with Al Milgram, he wrote, uh, combined almost 100 issues featuring Firestorm leading up to this. It's crazy. When I, when, I, when I did the math, it blew my mind. Between the original Firestorm series and then his Justice League America appearances and then his solo series and the flashbackups and DC Comics Presents and Batman Brave and the Bold and just all these various comics he wrote, it's almost 100 comics. I just, nobody does that nowadays, except for Bendis. 
Yeah, I mean, it's some of that in the Vertigo books, but uh, but there's mm. a lot of that, you know. But yeah, I mean, generally, you don't have a a superhero book with a creator running that long. That's a, I mean, you know, it was Jerry's baby, so I could see why he was very keen on uh, steering the ship as long as he could. Yeah, it's a real testament to him. So, well, tell you what, before we get much further, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsors, folks. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty-two percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. What you got, buddy? Well, unfortunately, there's not a lot of Firestorm uh, on InStockTrades right now. Maybe some stuff is out of print, and I figured one of the books you were going to be covering uh, in your pick, so I decided to kind of go the opposite side and say. What was going on in Justice League while Firestorm was doing all these adventures in his regular? Oh, book? So nice. I picked, yeah, I picked Justice League of, of America: The Detroit Era, which is of course Woo-hoo. also by Jerry Conway, by Chuck Patton and Luke McDonald. It reprints Justice League numbers two thirty three through two sixty one, Annual number two, Infinity Inc. number nineteen, plus JLA Classified fourteen to sixteen, and then Justice League of America Retrospective number one. It's 1,064 pages. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, how much breakdancing is contained uh, within that 1,000 pages? True, not bad. Too expensive. No, the normal price, <laughs> it features a cover by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his praise name. Praise be his name. Uh, the normal price is $125. But what do you expect? Gosh. The dang thing's the size of a phone book. But InSock Trade's price is $72.50. That is 42% off. I mean, yeah, this is a big buy. Absolutely. But if you've never read this area, of just like here's your chance to read every bit of it between two covers so just league of america the detroit era omnibus i you know i've said it before in the air my first justice league that i read on an ongoing basis was the detroit league i love them i mean the whole purpose of why they put the team together to to have a team that could be in jeopardy to have heroes that could die and things like that that's why i followed it because i wanted to find out who these new characters were because the, the the super friends version of the team didn't interest me that much because i knew that those characters would be fine in that book so hmm. That's well. That's awesome, and some great talent in that book. So today, I picked uh, the only Firestorm book out there in stock trades right now. But also, it's sort of nice because it's sort of uh, uh, I don't know what am I trying to dovetails dovetails nicely with this because we're going to be talking about Jerry Conway leaving the book. Well, this book, which is Firestorm: The Nuclear Man United, we fall trade paperback, was Jerry's return to Firestorm thirty years later, which is crazy. Uh, so this we covered this on this on the show a long time ago. It's the Legends of Tomorrow story that Firestorm headlined there, and written by Jerry Conway, art by Eduardo Pensica, art on the cover is by Carrie Nord. And what this is basically, it's the story of taking the the New Fifty Two or the Rebirth version of Firestorm, however you want to look at it, and trying to break it down into what works and turn him into the iconic version of Firestorm. So by the end of the book, you have Ronnie Raymond in control of the Firestorm body. Professor Stein is the onboard advisor. But Jerry very cleverly also kept Jason part of the mix by making him sort of the guy in the chair to be their advisor. And so it, it really made an interesting team. Uh, now, we really haven't seen much of Firestorm since then, but it was a great story. And this collected edition is 144 pages, full color, normally retails for $14.99, and you can get 42% off and only cost you $8.69. So heck of a bargain. Go out and get both of those Jerry Conway books, please. And by the way, if you love Jerry Conway, you should check out last episode of the Firewater Podcast where you and I celebrated Jerry's birthday by talking mm-hmm. about some uh, fun comics by him. That's right. 
So for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit one of our sponsors, InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support, folks. We launched this effort a couple of weeks ago to help cover the expenses associated with running the network. And um, because, you know, we have a lot of content, so there's a lot of stuff that we have to pay for. So if you are enjoying this show or other shows that we produce, please go out to our Patreon. Rob, what's that Patreon address? Patreon.com slash podcasts. Yep. And please consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And we sincerely appreciate everyone's support, including folks like Adam Ackerman, Jay Campbell, Kevin Culp, David Ace Gutierrez, Jason Pope, and Gord Tolton. Again, just from, uh, head out to our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. All right. So, folks, we are covering Fury of Firestorm number 48 all the way to issue 54. And we're also going to dive into annual number four while we're doing that. And we've got a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump right in. And we've broken this up kind of by stories. So, for example, Fury of Firestorm 48 and 49 are really one story, so we're going to cover both of those together. Uh, Cover date is uh, March 6th, 1986 for the first one, and April 3rd, 1986 for the second one. Written Both written by Jerry Conway, of course. Jerry the Extraordinary Conway. We need some sort of superlative for him, don't you think? Yeah, we got to come up with something. I mean, I would want to say kind of like grandfather because it's like you know he he's what, what this whole foundation was built on of our network, um, but I, it doesn't it's not a very flattering term. So <laughs> hmm, we'll have to work on that. Anyway, the founder maybe something like that. Anyway, uh, penciler is Joe Brazowski. Inker is uh, on issue number forty eight was Mike Macklin and forty nine it was a group of people Mike Macklin, Roden Rodriguez, whoop whoop, and Pablo Marcos. Cover of issue forty eight is by Joe Brazowski and Dick Giordano, and forty nine is Joe Brazowski and Mike Macklin. So here. Here's the recap of both issues, and I'm going to blaze through this, I think, fairly quickly. We'll see. Uh, In this issue, we are introduced to Moonbow, who is a roguish female archer leaping from rooftop to rooftop and using trick arrows. Kind of like Green Arrow. And she's got short-cropped white hair, a blue bodysuit, along with a blue crescent moon over her left eye. And she's sexy. Moonbow, Moonbow, easy for you to say, Rob. Moonbow is a thief, um, but she's robbing from organized crime. Meanwhile, in New York, Felicity Smoke, who is Ed Raymond's fiance, uh, her lawsuit against Firestorm begins. And the opening statements from Felicity's lawyer state that superheroes are paid in public adoration and should be held accountable for professional negligence. And that's a pretty compelling argument, actually. And Firestorm's opening statement discusses how he does love the public adoration, but that he truly follows the responsibility of powers that he didn't ask for. So then we uh, we go to a very stunned-looking Felicity who asks for a recess. Hmm. Then back in Pittsburgh, Ronnie helps his fellow student, the sexy, redheaded, and very bored, idle-rich young lady named Bree Brandon. They hand out a bunch of drama flyers at Vandermeer University. Then the police department asks Firestorm to help in apprehending Moonbow. Firestorm encounters Moonbow in Pittsburgh when she ambushes some thugs from another uh, gang, organized crime. And when Firestorm is showing off, Moonbow escapes. And then at that point, we, the readers, discover that the archer is secretly Bree Brandon <gasps> in disguise. And then on a whim, she decides to give the money she stole to charity because she's already rich. Then on its way to, and then uh, we cut to the next issue. On its way to New York for the second day of Felicity Smoke's lawsuit, Firestorm saves an out-of-control private plane. So we get some fun transmogrification there. Mogrification there. Uh, we also see a philosophical schism in Firestorm because Professor Stein believes that they actually should be held accountable in some way for ruining Felicity's company. Hmm. Then, in a shocking twist, Felicity drops all the charges. Firestorm is cleared. Turns out that his opening remarks really got to her. 
And then back in Pittsburgh, the police issue uh, pagers, yes, beepers, to their newest special investigator, Firestorm. Professor Stein and Dr. Emily Rice share a dinner date at her apartment, which gets interrupted by a call for Firestorm. And Mumbo is captured by one of the mobster gangs when she tries to rob a safe at his mansion. She is shot in the shoulder, and the gang tries to drown her for entertainment purposes at the party. It's pretty horrific. Firestorm rescues her and then lets her go when he recognizes her as Brie Brandon. Woof! Okay, so that wasn't quite as short as I thought it would be. But that was two issues in a nutshell. Uh, first things first, let's talk about the covers. Rob, what do you think about the covers to issue number 48 by Brozowski and Dick Giordano and 49 by Brozowski and Mike Macklin? Uh, I, I, I like them. I like 48. Uh, it is I, – I like the postery concept to it. You know, I mean it's every time we're introducing a new villain. Um, it, it occurred to me as I was rereading these and that wasn't the easiest thing in the world I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually really like Moonbow as a villain. Okay. Um, I, I mean part of it is I just like archers. I think they just have a cool visual. Um, mm-hmm. And I like her design. But it, mm-hmm. it occurred to me that I don't think I've ever seen her drawn by anyone other than Joe Brozowski or in the one-page Husu listing, Steve Beauvais or Bo. Right. I'm not sure how you say it. So I'm not, I, I, I don't want to – I mean we got a ways to go through. So I don't want to like already get on this horse, you know, sort of. But like I, I wonder what might have come of her if she had maybe been drawn by someone a little more dynamic. Because mm, I, think, I think there's a lot there. I, th- I really do think there's – there's a neat character here that might have been kind of a cool Batman villain or like a question villain or even a Green Arrow villain, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I just don't think it's – like I think all the elements are there, but it just isn't quite put together exactly right. And I have to think that's just because Joe Bozowski's just eh, – you know, art-wise is kind of eh. But I do like the design of the cover, I will say. So just to quickly describe the 48 is the like a cityscape uh, goes about halfway up the page and then a purple background with the moon and everything. And Moonbow is larger than the city. She's looming over the whole city with the bow and arrow pointed out. So it's introducing Moonbow and Firestorm sort of flying in front of the buildings. Looks like she's sort of sneaking up behind him kind of thing, uh, even though she's large as life. And it says what she doesn't know about Firestorm could kill them both which is a nice, big, dramatic tagline on the front, which gets your attention, except it means nothing to the story inside. I mean, it's, it literally has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. It's almost like they did the cover treatment before the story was written, as near as I can tell, unless I'm, unless I'm missing something, and you can figure out what that cover copy means. I'm at a loss. No, I wasn't. I, I I didn't even think about it until you pointed it out in the notes, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. It doesn't really have anything yep. to do with it. It could just be that whoever wrote the cover copy just was writing fun cover copy and yeah. didn't really, yeah. bo- you know, really bother to pay attention what's happening in the story. So I think the cover to 48 is 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 fine. It doesn't do a lot for me. I think it's just fine. 49. I can't tell you why, but it has been one of my favorite Firestorm covers for a long time. I love this cover. So uh, the, what you have is um, Moonbow is hanging upside down. She's been bound and, cha- and, and chained. She's dangling by her feet. She's about to be lowered into a pool and drown, which is, does happen in the story. And she's got this like horrified look on her face, which to me screams Aparo. That's the face I see when I see that, but I know he didn't have anything to do with it. And in the background, Firestorm is swooping in and blasting the gangsters. Now she is hanging at um, not a 90-degree angle, but almost like maybe, I don't know, like an 80-degree angle or something like she's off kilter a little bit the, the whole, whole thing the whole is scene, the whole thing is yeah, off a little bit yeah just a ju- it's not like a big 45 degree angle but it's off just a little bit so i love the kind of offness i love her dangling the horror on her face i mean 
there's there's definitely an argument to be made that why is the female character got to be the one who's endangered here? Absolutely, there's an argument to be made. But just talking about artistically and, and the fact that it does happen in the story, you know, it's representative. I love that her, the chains are dangling in front of the Firestorm logo. You know, it's it's just a really neat dynamic look. I, she's again, she's smoking hot. She's sexy as hell. I, I think she looks great. I love again the face looks like a, I don't. It, as a, am I, are you seeing a Paro in that face, or am I just crazy? Uh, well, the, the, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. But no, I'm not seeing <laughs> uh, I'm not seeing Jim Aparo on that face. Okay. But I will say it's an unusual cover because you've got the hero saving the villain from another set of villains, which is yeah. a little unusual. Yeah. So I I just love the cover. I, I I like the cover more than what's inside. So uh, we'll just put it that way. Okay. Um, all right. Let, let's just put it out there because I don't want to belabor this throughout the episode because it's just beating a dead horse. Uh, Brzezowski, he's okay, you know, as the artist. He's not great. Um, he's also not the worst thing that ever happened to a book. Um, but at this point in the game, it is disappointing. It's a step down from Kay Annan. It's a step down from, you know, Broderick and, and uh, any other person that's been associated with the book. So that's disappointing. Also, yes, he does a huge number of art swipes, which we'll talk about later uh, in the feedback. Um, if you want really a lot more information on the, on, the, on the art swipes, go back to episode 224 of this show where uh, we talk about that and go to the comments section um, because I'm not going to outline them because it's just it's too much and it's, it's going to drag the whole thing down and, and really make us all kind of sad. So, but just know that Yes, he swipes all the time, and um, if you go to the, the comment thread of episode 224, you can actually see 13 different swipes that he did in just the last time we covered this episode. Just let's just put that to bed. That's done. Uh, a couple different things in this issue I thought were fun. Uh, Ronnie stands up to Doreen again. I'm um, oh, sorry, Ronnie stood up Doreen. I'm sorry, that's what I meant to say. Uh, they're making out. I mean, they're in a hot and heavy makeout session, and they talk about it. She's like, "What got your motor running?" You know, and he heads out the door. Now, I'm no fan of Doreen. But I don't know why she puts up with him at this point. I, I mean, when the times you stood me up, Rob, made me mad enough. But, I mean, if we were in, like, getting all worked up like that, I don't know. I could forgive you. Oh, dear God. Um, I, I I would argue that this is getting hot and heavy because, and again, I know what you just said about that we're not going to kick Brozowski around because what's the point. But the sequence where um, they are smooching and mm-hmm. then Ronnie's trying to concentrate – and you can see that Brozowski just took the same drawing and pasted it up five times. Um, so while they're supposed to be, you know, going at it hot and heavy, like Doreen's not moving. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, like all he did was redraw Ronnie's eye in one of the pan and two of the panels and the rest of That's them are true. just, it's the same image statted over and over again. And so it just looks like Doreen has fallen asleep. Uh, okay. While they're smooching, so that's a little like, oh, come on! I understand, you know, uh, that you, you're just trying to get it done, and that, like you're like, well, you're trying to like maybe set some sort of comedic tone, but it just looks weird that in the middle of all this kissing, she's literally not moving at all. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you kept to the, uh, the 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 promise we made of not uh, beating a dead horse in the art. Great. Well, um, I'm not saying he's swiping though. I'm not. I'm not it's not a swipe sw- joke. It's is that a, swiping he, himself? Yeah. <laughs> Um, they, they even say this in the comic. They pointed out themselves. They hung a lantern on it. But I love the fact that Firestorm gets deputized by the Pittsburgh police, you know, after just being there a month or two. Whereas in New York, he was there for years, and they never liked to work in with him. So it just kind of shows you the difference in you know what a move can make for you. Um, you know, and, and you made a recent move, and the life's been better since then. Um, you know, uh, there's a character here, by the way, you should take note of Chief Ferguson, uh, the guy who's in charge of the Pittsburgh police. 
I need you to remember that character for later on down the road. Is that okay? okay? Chief Ferguson. Okay. There we go. Perfect. Thank you. Not not today, but like later episodes of when we cover. Oh, for God's so, sakes. Well, no, it's it's important. So, all right, let's talk about Moonbow. I agree. She is a character with a lot of potential. Uh, again, I've already talked about how attractive she is. I like her shtick of being idle, bored, rich, you know, because that really opens you up to a lot of things where she's like, she's not really a bad guy. She's more like just an antagonist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you could even reform her later. She could have been like a fun kind of partner for somebody. Even I mean, Firestorm... I don't know that she would have made sense as a partner for him because their power levels, uh, sort of like Firestorm and Slipknot, they just don't, you know, don't make a lot of sense together. But she could have been a fun sort of like, you know, almost like a black cat, you know. Well, she's, from, she's, the, she's the Catwoman of this of this particular scenario. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I again, I was thinking more black cat because of the the wealth and everything. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I suppose. So here's the crazy thing. All right, so Arrow, uh, the Arrowverse, which you know is uh, the Arrow TV show and Flash and all that, they have annexed a lot of Firestorm characters, including Firestorm, Killer Frost, Multiplex, Plastique, Black Bison, Tokamak. <laughs> Seriously, Black Bison, Tokamak, Jefferson Jackson, which was Firestorm's friend, even Eddie Slick. We're going to talk talk about in just a few minutes has made it onto the Flash TV show. I, you probably didn't realize that. So, uh, and yet Moonbow, who is a sexy, spoiled, rich girl with a bow and arrow, <laughs> doesn't rate an appearance on the show Arrow. How crazy is that? That makes no sense whatsoever. Well, I'm, I think she's reserved for the Moonbow movie that they're working on. Oh, I forgot about that. I think that's in development. I did yeah. forget about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she did appear in one issue later of Firestorm. Uh, she is in the Who's Who update that you mentioned. Apparently, she appears in one issue of Wonder Woman in 2001. I think I saw it at the time. I don't even remember it now. And then, insanely, she just appeared recently in Doomsday. I can't even say it with a straight face. She appeared in Doomsday Clock. Which is this huge? What huge the hell? Okay, yeah. all right. Well, there was a there was a firestorm centric issue. Oh, that, uh, that's and, right. And she, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's kind of in there. So, all right. Listen, we got to talk about the big elephant in the room, really, which is the court case, right? So the court case, she uh, Felicity d- drops the whole case. But the opening statements, what did you think? Like, who had the better case, and who should have won? Well, I I don't mean you can't you you can't take any of this too terribly seriously because you've got a guy with a, his head is on fire in the middle of a court case. I mean, the whole thing is sort of absurd. I, I like the approach to it. I thought that was kind of interesting. Is that you know like the the angle? For, I mean, of course, I'm on Firestorm's side here uh, because he's Firestorm. You know, I mean, go okay. on to, for God's sakes. I mean, I I just felt like this guy was just being. I don't know. I I didn't. I never really thought about. To even consider that there were two sides to this, I just thought, no, of course it's Firestorm. He's, but it, and it, it is. I don't know if it's meant to be somewhat comedic, um, because it's just something. There's just something funny about Firestorm just sitting there with his head on fire while people are talking. He's just right. sitting there looking in an bored. office setting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very funny. Well, uh, in the spirit of the show, I take the absolutely ab- absolute opposite opinion. Uh, and before you even said anything, I was. I, I think he absolutely is held accountable here, should be held accountable here. He did these things, and it was out of his own negligence of wiped out her company. He, you know, then in, in anger turned her clothes to soap bubbles because he was because she was mad at him. I mean, he really did some wrong stuff here. And the guy making the argument talking about basically how superheroes are performing a service and they get paid just like any other professional except their payment is fame and that therefore they should be uh, held accountable for negligence or incompetence. And I found that very interesting because, you know, somebody who has powers doesn't have to put themselves out there as a hero. These people are choosing to put themselves out there as a hero and therefore, you know, sort of 
they are in a sense professional. So I think there's a lot of uh, weight to his argument. In fact, um, there is a really interesting series of articles, and I'll try and put this in the show notes, folks. There's a website called Law and the Multi- Multiverse, and they did a five-part series of articles all about this trial. And this person understands the law. Well, that's what they do is they talk, they talk about legal issues in comic books on this website. And so they understand the law and actually talked about the torts and the various cases and all these different types of stuff that could be eligible uh, or, or applicable in, in a court of law for this case. It's really interesting to read. And in the end, they basically said that um, it wasn't terribly faithful to the law. It's about as good as you get from like a Law & Order episode. And then they said that in conclusion, you know, Firestorm could have very easily been held uh, liable for some stuff here. So I find it interesting. All right. All right, let's move on. So next we get to Fury of Firestorm number 50. Whoa! Actually, I should call it Firestorm the Nuclear Man, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, It was on the shelves May 1st, 1986, covered by Dennis Cowan and Klaus Jansen, written by Jerry Conway, of course, penciler, Returning, woohoo! Raphael Kanan. Inker is by Mike. Ma- I'm sorry. Inker is Mike Macklin, Pablo Marcos, and again Roden Rodriguez. Very exciting. This sucker is 38 pages, bumper length, folks, because it's a big celebration of uh, 50 up issues. So here's the recap: A World War II era secret agent, long thought dead, uh, contacts his old controller to announce that he's reactivating the top secret program called X Protocol. No, it has nothing to do with the X-Men. Uh, then later, a terrible injury occurs during the Vandermeer University football game. Hugo, who we met a few issues ago, which is the nice but dim-witted cousin of Cliff Carmichael, he accidentally grabs Ronnie's helmet as they run into the field. And when the strap breaks, Hugo's neck is broken and he's left paralyzed. Now, afterwards, Ronnie realizes that someone cut the helmet strap, trying to ensure Ronnie was injured on the field, possibly even killed. Later, Ed Raymond, his father, uh, Ronnie's dad, is kidnapped in broad daylight by some unknown uh, group of people outside of the Daily Express building, after which a distraught Felicity Smoke contacts Ronnie and uh, tells him to su- – uh, she's summoning him to come to New York as Firestorm. <gasps> Felicity knows Ronnie's secret. Oh, no. Uh, a firefight then ensues in Queens in a warehouse where the long-lost agent encounters operatives from his old organization. Firestorm tracks down the leader of the organization to Washington, D.C. He discovers the kidnapper is the heroic World War II pilot called Captain an X. Yes, folks, check your who's who for him, Captain X. The pilot blames Ed for the death of his one-time lady love. Firestorm tracks them down, but it stands on the sidelines and just listens in while Captain X realizes that Ed Raymond is actually his own biological son. Captain X and Ronnie's father then reconcile. The next morning, Ed and Felicity are married with Captain X standing by his son's side. So, uh, let's start off. What do you think of the cover in this one? Oh, well, I know what you think of the cover of this one, actually. Tell them why I know. Yeah, well, with that episode we did a little while back, which was our, we picked our favorite 10 Aquaman Firestorm covers. Uh, I picked, and then we switched off and did one each of the other characters. This was my pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this cover by Dennis Cowan and, and, uh, and um, Klaus Jansen. I mean, it's not my all-time favorite Firestorm image because, to me, it's not representative of the character uh, generally. I like I like to pick something that is more iconic of the character, and that's, to me, the cover to Fury of Firestorm number one with Pat Broderick. But I love this image. Firestorm as a character doesn't lend himself to kind of like an edgy look. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say the same thing about Aquaman, too. Um, but this really is very, very sharp. I love the stark white background uh, yep. and just the hand. I mean, the only 
downside is there's so much trade dress. I mean, good <laughs> lord, there's the anniversary logo number fifty. There's the new logo. There's the credits. There's the kind of lazily placed Helvetica typeset. His father has vanished. Dash dash exclamation mark. His father may be dying. Dot dot dot. Big space, and he is helpless. It's like <laughs> it was just play, placed there. And there's an orange. There's an orange border as well. There's an orange border, and then you've got check out Electric Warrior, which I refuse to do. And I mean, so there's <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff here that kind of gums up this image. But I think the image itself is very very strong, and I, I it, to me it's one of the more compelling Firestorm images. And I really like the logo. Uh, I like how simple. I like how simple it is. I know that so Denio. We, did- we we should describe it. It's it's just simply block letters. They've dropped the fury of, and it yeah. just says Firestorm the Nuclear Man. And Firestorm is huge and very vertical and stretched out. And Nuclear Man is smaller and sort of thinner. Yeah, it's just a typeface. There's no design yeah. to it, no art. It's just a pure typeface. And I, I, I mean, would I want it to be the Firestorm logo? No, but as a contrast to the other one, which was very very comic book. Logo-y, I like it. I like its simplicity. Uh, and especially with this image, I think it works really well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, yeah, I, think it's a, I think it's a really great cover. I think, I, you know, this hasn't always been my favorite cover. But since we did that episode where we did covers, you've made me rethink this cover. And I've really warmed to it, actually. Uh, and, and it's all down to you, Rob, making me rethink it. You know, Firestorm is the perfect mix. I mean, when you look at that, there is no doubt in your mind that is Dennis Cowan and Klaus Janssen. Right? I mean, regardless of the signatures, just the face, that is such a Cowan face. And those black inks everywhere, mm-hmm. that is so Janssen. I mean, mm-hmm. it's clearly them together. And as far as Firestorm... Ironically, the Fury is gone from the logo, but that's exactly what you're sharing is Firestorm's Fury. And it's it's pretty powerful, and, and I'm getting there now. I'm starting to really warm up to it. As a kid, I didn't like the cover at all, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I just didn't like the art. I didn't like the, the whole premise of it, so I do like you know. And actually, I think the, the new Firestorm logo looks very good on this issue. It, I would have been fine with it being a one-time thing. It's when it becomes an ongoing logo that it becomes very dull and, and weak. Here, it's striking. Because of the white background and everything, it just really jumps off the page. But in general, um, yeah, no, it's kind of kind of falls flat. So inside, we get Raphael Cannon, which was very exciting to see him again. Oh my gosh, there's a couple of really great pages. Like right after uh, Felicity calls Ronnie and says that you know I know you're Firestorm, you need to come to New York. Firestorm transforms and then uh, he's flying. And he's just yelling, Felicity knows! This is page 19. It just looks so good. It's a great iconic image of Firestorm. I know I've seen it reprinted places, too. It looks fantastic. When I, when I first saw it, this sounds terrible, I kind of forgot I was reading a Cannon issue, and I saw that. I'm like, oh, come on. Brozowski swiped that from Cannon, and then realized it <laughs> actually Cannon. So. Uh, there's also another really powerful splash page, very disturbing, when uh, Hugo gets uh knocked falls down breaks his neck on page 14 it's a full page splash of him just laying on the field with his neck at this horrible angle that's a great and, moment yeah uh and he, he he the way they've done it is and, and i was talking to somebody it might have even been you but the way you can film a scene where the further away you look you get from the action action suddenly takes on a sort of a weird vibe and that's where you get you're so far away from hugo at this point it, it just it leaves you unsettled you feel very uncomfortable the distance plays a role in it and he just says you know very quietly i can't move and uh and you know the doctors are rushing to him and stuff it's just very disturbing so oof 
and, and you know, it, it, this whole thing is a very typical Peter Parker kind of move. You know, Jerry, Jerry's obviously very good at writing Spider-Man, but in the issue, Peter, I'm not Peter, I'm sorry, Ronnie gets arrogant. He gets cocky. He even tells Professor, it's okay to get cocky. Things are looking up. You know, you're dating someone, and my stepdad is just is getting married, and all these things are looking up. This is great. And then it all, you know, the hubris, it's it, it, exactly what happens with Peter Parker all the time. Uh, it catches up with him, and all these horrible things happen. So, uh, now, I do want to mention one thing. In here, you know, the Vandermeer football team is the Vikings. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Uh, other than the real football team, no. Uh, in the New 52, when we covered those issues many, many years ago, Ronnie was on the high school football team. They were the Vikings. Oh, so, okay. That must be I, on that I, list that uh, Keith G. Baker has. I'm sure it is. So I don't know whether that's a coincidence. You know, it could be that some. I know Dan Jurgens is a huge uh, Minnesota Vikings fan, and so that's why he was excited about using the Vikings in, in his series. Uh, but I, I got to wonder if there's a connection with it here. It's, you know, interesting, if, if nothing else. So Captain X, uh, very exciting to see him. He does, uh, he didn't have, you know, he did not get an original Who's Who entry. However, he got one after this, uh, which was nice. But I have a question for you. So they, they explain how he used to be Captain X. He goes on to become the aviator. Now he is, finds out that he's the biological father of Ed Raymond. And Ed went into the witness protection program, which is why his mother committed, or, or died of a broken heart. Whew. Um, was this brilliant the way they threaded this in a nice development or was it overly complex? Um, I, no, I don't think it was overly, I, I, I think there's a, there's a big, big room there. The big gray area there between those two things. Was it brilliant? No, but I don't think it was overly complex either. Okay. As a kid, I felt it was. Okay. Uh, I just because I didn't know Captain X's history, you know, I, I'm not even sure when I read this issue if I knew about the Ed Raymond, um, uh, 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 what do you call it? The whole thing where he was in the witness protection program and he's actually Ed Rockwell. I don't know if I had read those issues, you know, issue 16 where they explained all that yet or not. So it's, it, I didn't, I didn't warm to it then. Nowadays I like it, but I'm so steeped in Firestorm, it all makes perfect sense to me. So I don't, I do wonder what the outsider opinion is. So it wasn't too complex, at least. No, I didn't think so. I mean, again, okay. maybe because I had some familiarity with Captain X from that who's who listing. That oh, yeah. It was a little point. bit like filled in a little like, oh, okay, this is what this is. So reading this as an adult now, I do kind of like the spy stuff. It's not executed incredibly well, but I do like that the spy stuff's there, like the two agencies, you know, crossing and, and, and trying to take each other out. I like that Ronnie gets a grandfather out of this. I mean, I like all those kind of aspects. So uh, one more question for you. So this is, a, this, is the, this is the big question for this issue is, did this make a good anniversary issue? That's, a, that's an interesting question because of some of these big anniversary issues that DC – I mean they had their own – again, they had their own trade dress with the yep. anniversary logo. Some of these issues were devoted to making it kind of a one and done almost or like a summation of the characters. And then some other ones were more about – like Brave and the Bull number 200 is mm -hmm. kind of a complete story. Um, uh, I don't remember Legion 300 and – but like some of – you know, but like this one is – the the denouement of an ongoing storyline, and so this is designed. It's certainly not going to appeal to new readers because you know they they're they're like wait wait what's going on? I haven't been reading all this. So I mean, as for I mean, we was this the was Firestorm still selling really well? Because at one point Firestorm was like DC's second or third best selling book. That would have been probably back when they're in the issues like the twenties. Okay, um, all right. So, so you no, know, by this point, cooled down by now. Yeah, things had definitely cooled down, which is part of the reason uh, Jerry was off the book. Really, for okay. very soon here, is that things had cooled tremendously. 
Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's, you, can, you can make the argument either way that, yeah, you should do something that appeals to new readers, but at the same time, why not reward the people that have stuck with you this whole time and give them a nice, big, juicy conclusion to what they've been reading to this point? Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. I feel like you, know, you get a lot of stuff in here. You get a lot of action. You get you know, big uh, espionage type stuff. You get what happened with Hugo breaking his neck. You get uh, the, the, really the big culmination ending with a wedding, which is like sort of the feel-good moment that uh, – that's the kind of way you want to end an anniversary issue, you know, that yeah. kind of scene. So uh, to me, I feel like it was a rewarding anniversary issue. You make a fair point though. You're right. It's not something that someone's just going to pick up off the shelves, read it cover to cover, and feel like they get every single thing going on. There is a whole lot of ongoing story, which to me is fine because that's what Jerry was exceptional at. And I know I picked up a lot of Jerry comics over the years that were in the middle of storyline, and yet he gave me all the info I needed in the book uh, that I was able to follow it. So I got to assume that people probably could follow it because, you know, he's good at telling that story. So uh, we're, we're, we're going to put that in the win column, I think. Okay. And this is the first uh, issue with Denny O'Neill as the editor. So that's worth noting as well because that takes the book in a lot of different directions. Oh, I should mention. Okay, so Hugo breaking his neck. This is a little tidbit for you. Remember I told you to remember Chief Ferguson, right, for future coverage of Firestorm. It's going to go beyond what we're covering today. This moment with Hugo breaking his neck. This, not not today where we get, but eventually in the next couple of coverages of Firestorm, this plot point is huge. And this will change the trajectory of the supporting cast of Firestorm forever. Um, it starts right here at this moment. So this is a big deal. And this is a, this is the beginning of all of it. The first domino, if you will. Okay. We're going to get rid of Doreen. Oh, uh, okay. And we're going to get rid of Cliff. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. This, this, this starts that domino, those dominoes tumbling, believe it or not. All right. Well, why don't we get into, well, uh, hold on. Wait, before we get off this, I, I yeah. have, I have two things I want to make, th- th- what I want to mention in this book. Cause this is, this yep. is why I'm here. Uh, there's there's two images I want to discuss very very. Briefly. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah, okay. yeah 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 And this is I'm going, I'm going to go in the order of uh, the sublime to the ridiculous. First of all, okay. the image the image I really like is on page 34, uh, the top panel where Firestorm is crouched behind the grave marker and he's got his hand extended. Yes. And he says, "Hold it, Professor. Something he said. Those dates. I've got a hunch." First of all, it is really hard to draw a hand foreshortened like that. I have oh, okay. I have tried to do it. It is impossible. There's a lot. You there's a there's a reason why a lot of those image artists always kind of have these characters behind goat behind uh, mist and stuff to hide their hands because they're really hard to draw. So good job on Raphael Kenan's part to draw that. Not only just is it just a good drawing. It's all I I, I think it has. A, you don't see that a lot. Like a super super close up like that of a hero poised to use his power. Um, mm-hmm. Because we tend to forget when we read these superhero comics for decades that these things are lethal weapons, these hands. You know, it's, it's like if somebody cocked a gun in your face, how nervous that would make it. Of course, that happens at the very bottom of this page. But I, I, I just have very rarely seen that of having a hero point his powerful hand right in the camera. So I really, that panel really jumped out. I think it's extraordinary. Really, uh, really, I, I didn't notice really that. I, it, I almost wish Professor Stein wasn't in it because he, he he's so teeny tiny. It just doesn't play right. But yeah, uh, that's interesting. The hand looks very believable. You're yeah. absolutely right. I, had, like, I didn't even think about it. You feel like he's slowly lowering it into position, which is really, really exciting. So I love that panel. Okay. okay. So now i got to go to the other one, which is much more significant because I bought this comic off the stands oh, when, I was, when I was 15. So, okay, now we're going to jump all the way back to page 8. Oh jeez! Um, okay. Where uh, what you know? There he's at the gravesite, Catherine Rockwell's gravesite, right? Okay. Okay. So panel three. 
Oh, jeez. I know. What the holy hell happened to that face? There is no way. There is no way Raphael Canaan drew that. He is a very good artist. There's no way he drew that. So I remember. I I can remember buying this comic off the stands. I was 15. And I remember getting to that panel going, what the hell is that? And the only thing I can think of is somebody at the D.C. office has, like, spilled their coffee on the page and was like, oh, shit, we have to, like, you know, what are we going to do? And they got somebody in the in the D.C. bullpen redraw it because that face is horrible. And it does – it is not professional level artwork. It just isn't. And because it's so discordant with the rest of the book, it, I crafted this whole story. Around it where I'm like, yeah, some guy had the pages on his desk and he had his coffee and he bumped it and he was like, oh, crap. And now he had to get somebody to redraw it and that's what you've got. (laughs) It is so bad, that face. It jumps out at me. And I remember when you told me you wanted to cover these issues, I was like, that's the issue with that panel. Oh, my God. I have never forgotten this panel after – how old is this comic now? Uh, 33 years old? 33 years old, Um, and I still remembered – and when I popped it open and I looked at the scan, I thought, oh, God, it's just as bad as I remember it, that panel. That is so, hilarious. Man, that is just like – you know, and I – look, I've done a lot of assignments where I've knocked stuff onto my assignments. I've drive, uh, I've knocked over more more than one ink bottle on finished artwork, so I, I get it. It happens, but boy, that, that panel – I can only imagine when Rafael Kennan got the issue back. Uh, he must have been like, wait, What? Like, you know, what the hell happened here? So that I'll is tell you what it looked like to me because the panel jumped out at me as well, and it always has. I had I didn't it didn't wasn't emblazoned in my memory like it was for you, but it's always but every time I see it, I'm always like, what the funk? Um, it looks to me that it was a very small drawing of him because look at how thick the line work is. It the could line be a face blown up. Thin. Yeah, exactly. It looked to me like a face. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere else in the book. The final they, page where he's at the wedding, that face looks – it looks like it might be a blown up version of that actually because I've just been comparing the two. OK. So yeah, it looks to me like – oh my gosh, Rob, you might be onto it there. Um, and then they redrew it. They took the suit yep. off and put like the, the, the winter coat on him. It looked to me like someone took an image and blew it up yeah. simply because the lines were so thick. Yep. Is that's yep. all yep. I could think yep. of us. And, and so maybe, yeah, maybe they get the coffee on that panel or maybe the whole panel was lost or something. I don't know. Cause the rest of the page doesn't look anything like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very weird. Very, very weird. By the way, it's also got to mention on the facing page, uh, an ad for DC heroes role-playing game for Mayfair. Very nice. <laughs> very exciting. All right, so we are going to now cover Fury of Firestorm. Uh, well, actually, according to the cover, it's only Firestorm the Nuclear Man. This gets into a whole confusing thing, by the way. This logo thing just keeps going. Firestorm's logo from this point on until we get to around issue 65 is going to change Many times. It's going to be this big, bold typeface logo that you like that I don't from this point. I liked it on issue 50. I don't like it from here on. The bold face type. Then it's going to be just the old Firestorm logo, but just the word Firestorm, the Fury of, and the Nuclear Man will be gone. It's going to change one or two more times until we get to 65, where it's finally going to get a new sort of uh, atomic-looking logo. Okay. So, all, right. all right. So, yeah. So, Fire, Fury of Firestorm number 51 and 52. They were on the shelves June 5th, 1986, July 3rd, 1986. Covers are by Joe Brzezowski and Steve Mitchell, written by Jerry Conway, drawn by Joe Brzezowski. Inker for number 51 is Ron Rodriguez, and number 52 is Steve Mitchell. 
firestorm saves the crew of a tugboat during an incident in the New York Harbor. Ronnie and Professor Stein attend the Bon Voyage reception of Ed and Felicity Raymond, where Felicity explains her reasons for dropping the case against Firestorm. Later, Ronnie and Doreen visit Hugo Hammer at Mercy Hospital in Pittsburgh. While there, Ronnie meets Eddie Slick, a crooked wrestling promoter, and Martin Stein lookalike. Slick's wrestler, King Crusher, is released from Mercy Hospital. Slick feeds his fighter a strange designer drug to strengthen him, but it has a most unexpected side effect while in the ring. Nearby, Professor Stein and Dr. Emily Rice are enjoying a romantic dinner. During the wrestling match, King Crusher rampages out of the sports arena, fueled by the strange designer drug given to him by his Martin Stein lookalike. Uh, manager. Uh, Emily and Professor Stein walk out of their dinner date and right into King Crusher's path. Crusher mistakes Stein for his manager and tries to kill Stein. Crusher continues to transform, ultimately becoming a giant green hulking beast with monstrous eyes and teeth. Back in Pittsburgh, Ronnie tries to stop an unseen figure from stealing his football helmet. The only evidence that Hugo's broken neck wasn't an accident. After Ronnie takes a blow to the back of the head, Professor Stein summons Firestorm. The nuclear man cap- captures Eddie Slick, then tracks down the source of the pills that King Crusher ingested. Stein develops an antidote while Firestorm synthesizes into a giant syringe. King Crusher is reverted to human while the drug designer, well, the drug designer appears to have perished. Eddie Slick also survived, which will be important in this story in about two years. So, uh, well, we start with the cover first, but... Um... Yeah, not a high point for Firestorm, folks. Just going to put it right out there. So the cover of 51 is a wrestling ring, and King Crusher, who's already turning green, is kicking the ropes. He's actually breaking the top rope uh, as he's kicking it. And it says, a minute ago, he was a man. A minute from now, he'll be a monster. And Firestorm's flying up behind him. The cover of 52 is King Crusher's already this enormous beast, like just stories tall. And he's, he's green, scaly, he's got crazy teeth, and he's got Firestorm in his hand. He says, once he was human, once he could have been stopped. So what do you think of the covers, Rob? Uh, I kind of like this cover, actually. It's just so goofy. Uh, I mean, like Firestorm and wrestling. That's like, okay. That doesn't seem like something. And, uh, of course, Crusher looks very Killer Crockish. Uh, who was uh, also a creation? Uh, he was also a Jerry Conway creation. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, story-wise, you know. Meh. Uh, but I actually really like the artwork for once. I think um, Rodan Rodriguez is a great inker, and he does a he does a really good job of uh, kind of uh, I think covering up some of Joe Brzezowski's weaknesses because this looks it looks pretty solid in a, in a lot of places. Well, you know, in the old days, and we did this on an episode a million years ago where we talked about the unsung heroes of, of our favorite characters. That's right. Ro- Roden Rodriguez was the unsung hero to me for Firestorm for a long time because he sort of – even though we transitioned from um, Broderick to Kayanen, Kayanen was brand new. And so Rodriguez continued as the inker, and it really helped smooth that transition. And so to me, that's exactly what he's good at is smoothing that out. So him on this book was very exciting for me. I was very happy about that. Yeah. It was nice. Um, issue 52, by the way, huge fat comic because it's got that huge insert for in which on, on the slick paper for the mask toys. Remember them? Yeah. Well, I, I remember they existed. Yes. Yeah. Kenner must have paid a fortune. This is like a 16 page insert. I mean, they must have paid a fortune for that. Or maybe that was part of the superpowers trade off. I don't really know. <laughs> You know what else is worth mentioning here? Uh, this batch of Firestorm comics is littered with letters from our friend Tom Zoller, your former roommate and our friend of the network and our buddy at conventions and a, a really, 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 really tall guy. Uh, Tom Zoller was a big fan of Firestorm and quite a letter hack. So he, in this batch, he's got a letter in issue 49. He's got uh, an issue in letter 50 in which he's actually offering – this cracks me up. He actually offered to co-write the book with Jerry. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's on brand for Tom. 
Uh, he does criticize the Firestorm Blue Devil crossover, so you know we're kind of in sync on that one. And then he has a few more comment, uh, negative comments about the art, which is, again, understandable. But issue 52, which is what I wanted to get to, which is in this issue here, uh, Tom has a letter where he's discussing the coloring quite a bit, and at the end he suggests that Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd could play Ronnie and the Professor, obviously, you know, of Back to the Future fame, which cracks me up, right? And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, wait a minute, I've heard that, I've heard that. And ironically, completely independent of this letter, Luke Dobb, back in 2016, drew a fun picture of Professor Stein and Firestorm as Ronnie, as Marty and the professor and, and uh, Doc Brown. And um, he, we posted it on Firestorm Fan a million years ago, and it's you know it's Firestorm sitting there um, with his with his you know like. Mike, uh, like Marty McFly is with a car and he's got his foot up and he's looking at his watch kind of thing. It's the same kind of pose except on his chest the nuclear symbols form the uh, flux capacitor. And Doc, and, and for Professor Stein it's Doc Brown but he's got that crazy helmet on. So anyway, it's a great adorable picture by Luke which makes it all super funny because it's this cycle of, uh, of friendship because Tom wrote that letter right back in 86. Years later, the Fire and Water Podcast Network is directly responsible for Tom Zoller and Luke Dobb becoming friends. I don't know if you knew that or not. They're, they're good buddies now, and it all is tied to the show because we had played some songs of Luke. We promoted his shirt. Tom bought the shirt. They bumped into each other at a convention. They're like, hey, you're Tom Zoller. Hey, you're Luke Dobb. And it was all because of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So they become buddies. Then years later, Luke draws this independent of Tom's letter, and now we're covering it on the show. It's like this circle of life where a snake eating its own tail. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they get together at cons and have handsomes offs. It's a, uh, it's a uh, really. They, they don't worry, but they raise it's, it's the to, to raise money for charity. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, obviously, um, Christopher Lloyd as Martin Stein would be a very different Martin Stein than what we're used to. But nevertheless, the idea is so fun. It seems to, all, and it's all kind of right there in front of you. Right. Uh, that it's it's too good to pass up once you think of it. You're like, oh my god, yeah, they really do have a very similar dynamic in that movie to to the comic. It would have been hilarious. Uh, well, I got one more Tom Zoller thing to, uh, to to put in here just again because Tom's you know he's a comics professional. He's out there. He's doing a lot of great things and a huge promoter of Firestorm. So Tom does this web strip nowadays called Cupid's Arrow, and it's over at Webtoons.com. You can check it out. Uh, but back in April of 2019, one of his installments took place at a comic convention, and he needed some like fake stormtroopers in the background, uh, or at least in one of the scenes. And so he very purposely based their armor, this fake stormtrooper armor, on the armor of Firestorm's villain. And the Enforcer. You remember the Enforcer back from the, the Broderick era? Yeah, I, kinda, and, I really like that character. Yeah, we liked the character, the design because it first started off as a guy, and then Micah took over, so it was a girl after that. But anyway, he based the armors uh, in this character specifically off the Enforcer, which is just great. Really cracked me up. So, all right, getting back to the issue here. Uh, again, not the best issues. I mean, this, these particular two people point to quite often is talking about not exactly a high point for Firestorm. Um, now, do you, uh, what you think of Eddie Slick there? The, the Firestorm Professor Stein lookalike? Uh, I don't understand the context of that question. <laughs> well, I, I bring it up because we will see him again in this series. I'm not going to say any more than that because it spoils what happens, but, uh, he, beca- he's, he's a little important. So again, another character you need to remember for down the line, because Ostringer really did mine the gold, mine that gold for good stuff. And, um, he also, like I said, he made it into, uh, the flash TV show, not as a professor Stein lookalike, but as what uh, ultimately happens to him down the line. So it's just crazy that this goofball throwaway character, just, you know, the, the typical sitcom, two people look alike. So they're mistaken for, 
for a kind of thing turns into a, a big thing. So crazy. <laughs> Presumably, Jerry Conway gets a royalty check for Eddie Slick. He does. He actually does. Yes. It's absolutely crazy. So, Although, I guess, could Eddie Slick be considered derivative since he looks like Professor Stein? Oh, boy. We're getting into a hornet's nest now. Yes, we are. All right. So we just finished issue 51 and 52. Now we're going to get into Fury Firestorm Annual number four. So, Rob, why don't you take us into this one? All right. Here we go. It was on the shelves July 10th, 1986, covered by Dennis Cowan. Oh, it's him again. Written by Jerry Conway. Pencilers. Quite a murderer's row of uh, artists here. Raphael Kennegan, Dick Giordano, Gene Gene Colan, Kurt Swan, Martin King, and Keith Giffen. What the hell? Inkers are Al Milgram. Hey, Al Milgram. Co-creator Al Milgram. Co-creator Al Milgram and Steve Mitchell. Uh, Firestorm rushes to New York City to meet his father's plane arriving at JFK Airport. Felicity Smoke became ill on the flight home from her honeymoon cruise. Doctors suspect a rare infectious collagen disease. And think an experimental treatment being used in Los Angeles may be her only hope. Firestorm quickly flies to L.A. to obtain the experimental serum developed from cobra venom. But before he can get there, the lab is thrown into disarray when research student Todd Walton steals it. Walton, now calling himself Venom, huh? Has exactly. Been, <laughs> I think David Michelinius owes Jerry a favor. <laughs> yeah, uh, has been transformed into a snake-like creature himself, stealing the serum, hoping to cure his condition. Ed Raymond arrives in Los Angeles to pick up the serum and meets with an old reporter friend named Jody. The two men follow a lead on on Walton that takes him to the Bel Air home of notorious gangster Mr. Shark. Firestorm <laughs> confronts Walton at the Los Angeles Zoo Reptile House, a battle that leads to the Griffith Observatory as seen in Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, Venom has now given up on a cure for his condition and instead wants to share his instantly addictive Venom X drug with everyone. During the fight, Firestorm is dosed with Venom X and experiences hallucinations. He fights his way through the drug-induced hallucinations, drawn by Keith Giffen, so you know they're trippy, and our hero (laughs) secured the serum, thus saving Felicity. In the end, Ronnie finally accepts Felicity as more than just his dad's wife. Now he sees her as his stepmom. Aww, that's nice. All right, so let's talk about the cover. We've got the same new, uh, the same logo again, and we've got the annual banner across the top. We've got a green background, and then you have in the uh, in the foreground just several nightmaresque creatures. You've got one is a, this albino white snake, and then you've got these heads on stalagmites, kind of, and the snake is wrapped around Firestorm. And Firestorm looks like he's in a position of weakness. So, uh, what do you think of this cover? I'm kind of wondering, is is all this stuff in black and white supposed to be that, or is that a mistake? Because Firestorm, is his face is in white, which looks weird. Um, uh, not on the – you might be looking at scans. In the in the physical comic, it's not. It's, it's oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, then I guess it was on purpose. Okay. Well, then it's it's quite distinctive. I mean, having a black and white element on a color cover, Um, it's not the prettiest image in, in the world, but I kind of – I don't know. I like it. I like the the green flame background. I like the. I gone back to saying how much I like the logo. No, you don't like it, but I like the simple yellow. So it's it's very striking. It's it's again. It's not like a really pretty image. The faces are all grotesque. It looks very like something out of the thing or H.P. Lovecraft, where kind of faces are melting into other faces. It's 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 much more of a horror image than you ever associate with Firestorm. But I, I actually kind of like it. Well, that's neat. I hate it. Um, <laughs> okay. Like a lot. A lot, a lot. I really don't like this cover. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. But yeah, it's never struck me. The horror element, I don't. That, if on the right hand side, that the horrific stalagmite, if that had appeared in another comic, I probably would have been like, "Dang, that's pretty cool." Because it's 
it's well, at least the stalagmite on the right is well crafted and horrific, but it just, it's, ugh. Don't don't care for it. Uh, all in all, this entire issue, I am not a fan. Um, the, the only things I really liked on it is um, I like Jody, who's this like kind of old. He's, he's not grizzled, but he's like almost like suave. He's like this guy who knows how to play the L.A. scene. Jody's a reporter, and he knows how to play the scene, and he knows how to get the ladies and get the information, and he's trying to lead Ed through it, and Ed's not listening. Uh, and I kind of really like Jody. I want to read about the adventures of Jody now. The other thing I like is that throughout the issue, they talk about how L.A. is just a horrible, 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 horrible place. They basically say it's a desert that people built a city upon top of and they shouldn't have. And it's just a home of snakes and scorpions and all these deadly creatures and the people don't belong. And it just makes me think of uh, David Ace Gutierrez. And, you know, he doesn't belong. You know, sorry. Your, your city's filth. Uh, from what, from a Floridian to someone in L.A., that should, that should really sting. I'm just saying. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm just staying out of the way of this fight. Uh, and, and there is a nice nod to all the artists in, the, in, in this. I mean, come on. It, it, what a great, You talked about in the beginning. What a great collection. The Gene Colan pages look fantastic. And the last time we saw Gene Colan on this book was issue 19 with, um, what was it, the, the Goldenrod character. And we just felt like it wasn't a good fit. These pages, which really aren't very super heroic by Gene Colan, really look sharp. They look really, really nice. The, the Kurt Swan pages look really well put together because there's a lot of humans talking, which is what Kurt Swan's excellent. I mean, he's great at superhero stuff, too. But, I mean, when you're, just, when you're trying to illustrate different human beings having conversations and making it interesting and dynamic, Kurt Swan's a great person to go to. The Keith Giffen stuff, uh, I don't like this whole monstrous thing, but it's super trippy, so it's effective. I mean, it really does you know, freak you out considerably. The giant snake is – actually, the giant snake by Keith Giffen inside is much more terrifying than the one on the cover to me. Uh, the face. It's just like, ugh. Reminds me a lot of like uh, John Romita Jr. when he would do horrific stuff in X-Men or over in Daredevil before his style became so stylized. Um, but all in all, um, the story, I think, is not very good, and um, I really don't like this issue. So Okay. Okay. Great. Perfect. We're going to move on. Uh, we're going to cover Fury Firestorm number 53, which is on the shelves July 31st, 1986, folks. Covered by Joe Brzezowski and Dick Giordano. And this one is written by Jerry Conway. The last issue of Fury of uh, Firestorm. Well, I guess technically technically the book is still called Fury of Firestorm, even though it says Firestorm, the nuclear man on the cover. Um, the indictious is Fury of Firestorm. Anyway, the last issue written by Jerry Conway. Pencilers Joe Brzezowski and inker is Steve Mitchell. In the story, Professor Stein gets a disturbing diagnosis. He has an inoperable brain tumor and only has eight months to a year to live. Meanwhile, the mysterious Silver Shade siphons power from the Pittsburgh electrical grid. Silver Shade has the natural power to manipulate metal, but only a few ounces at a time. With this power boost he's arranged, he can now man uh, manipulate tons of metal all at once. Next, he goes in search of even higher levels of power to gain energy from, specifically the Vandermeer nuclear power plant. Elsewhere, Firestorm intercedes during a TV stunt gone awry, providing some commentary on sensational journalism. And then Hugo, who's now paralyzed from the neck down, is released from the hospital. He's determined to re return to school, and Wendy Olson gives him words of encouragement. You may not recall, but Wendy is the brilliant head of the physics department at Vandermeer, and she is wheelchair-bound herself. Then Ronnie confronts Cliff Carmichael about the cut football helmet strap, claiming that Ron, uh, Cliff's responsible, which ends in Cliff punching Ronnie. Later, Doreen explains to Ronnie how years ago, Cliff was actually popular in high school for a short period of time, and the arrival of Ronnie Raymond to their school coincided with Cliff's loss of popularity. Therefore, Cliff drew an irrational connection between the two and has always blamed Ronnie for his lack of stardom. 
Then, uh, very sadly, Stein's illness gets the better of him, and he ends up sort of stumbling around campus in a very confused state. Ronnie incorrectly assumes that Professor Stein has started drinking again. About this time, Silver Shade attacks the exper experimental atomic pile at Vandermeer University Physics Lab, and Firestorm and Silver Shade clash. Once Firestorm realizes that the villain's powers come from his non-organic costume... Oh yeah, you know what's happening here. Firestorm makes quick work of the foe with his transmutation powers. After the battle, Stein assures Ronnie that he hasn't lost his sobriety, but isn't ready to talk about what's wrong. And Ronnie is just left to worry about his friend. Oof, that's the last one for Jerry. Um, so, let's talk about the cover here first. Issue 53 cover. Uh, in this issue, the deadly debut of Silver Shade and Firestorm's fiercest fight ever. Uh, on the cover, we've got Firestorm. He is flying, and he's being wrapped up in all these giant metal girders like you'd see in a construction site. And Silver Shade is there sort of controlling the metal. And behind him, Ronnie has blasted a bunch of what looks like bricks into a giant hand to grab Silver Shade. What do you think of the cover? It's okay. Um, I think Silver Shade is a pretty kind of dull villain for the most part. Then um, visually, he's just kind of just this big suit, silver suited dude uh, with kind of Cyclops visor. Um, it, it, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. I don't. I think anything more than that. Yeah, and, and it's not representative of what happens in the comic at all. Ronnie does not create a giant brick hand to come after him. They don't fight in this way. Uh, so, and, and it's certainly not Firestorm's fiercest fight. What it really feels like is that uh, this was set up basically to just be, uh, you know, Jerry wanted to write an issue full of subplots. And he's like, well, I got to have a supervillain because it's, you know, it's the way these things work. And Jerry's very good at throwing in the villain of the week. So he created a guy who's basically just like a, a, an off-brand, like you said, Cyclops from the X-Men, who's in all white. And I think he just wanted to talk about the subplot. Because so the fight is over in five pages. So this, this fiercest fight ever, uh, folks, it's over in five pages. And it's the perfect example of why we always say Firestorm so powerful. Because we always say, oh, you know, he goes up against a foe where his powers come from his weapons. Done. You know, transmutation, weapons gone. You're done. You know, it's, it's that simple. And that's what he does here. You know, the minute he figures out that the powers come from the costume, poof, it's gone. Uh, and even cracks a joke about how the guy's not as hot as Plastique was when, uh, or, or something along those lines, because, you know, he, he, he did the same thing to Plastique many years ago. So, yeah, I just think that Jerry wanted to address something else and just threw a supervillain in there to give, some fight, give a fight. Now, one of the interesting things was years ago, a color guide showed up on eBay. For this, for this actual cover. And it revealed that there was a name change for the villain. So, Because uh, originally it didn't say in the, the deadly debut of Silver Shade. It said the deadly, deadly debut of Silver Shadow. Now, uh, that got changed to Shade. And, and the only thing I can think of is that um, Silver Shadow was the name of a character who appeared in Dave Cochran's The Futurian, The Fu Futurians? I don't know how you say that. Oh, the Futurians. The, I remember that. Okay. Yeah. I've got the graphic novel uh, from 1984 from Marvel. Um, and so that may be why exactly you know he, um, he had to change the name for that. I don't know. Um, oh, here's the line about Plastique, by the way. It says, you know, Professor, he's not as pretty to look at as Plastique when I did the same thing to her years, a few years ago. So Ronnie's a terrible uh, pig, but still, it's pretty funny. Now, uh, big things to talk about here. The subplot with Professor Stein's uh, cancer. Wow. Um, you know, Jerry just slips it in there, and then he's off the book. What a bombshell to drop on the series as he's walking out the door. Did he know he was off the book? Well, let's talk about that separately. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a definitely a separate discussion. But right. uh, I should say, just it, it's a huge bombshell to drop in your last issue, whether he knew he was leaving or not. Um, just think about the next writer who walks in. You know, John Oster comes in. Oh, one half of the main character 
only has a few months to live. And, you know, what, what's the natural extension of that? And Ostrander is going to take that and run in a very different direction. It's very surprising what ends up happening to Firestorm. I mean, most of you probably already know, but either way, uh, it all gets set up here. And, uh, you know, as a writer, to walk in the door with that subplot to take on has is, is got to be really challenging. Uh, now, by the way, I, we're not going to cover it here on the show, but about the same time these issues were coming out, Secret Origins number four was on the shelves uh, featuring Firestorm. We, that was covered over on the Secret Origins podcast before it was part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It was Ryan Daly, of course, and he had an incredibly sexy co-host on that episode. You should check that out. It's now on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It just wasn't at the time. <clears throat> so uh, the, you could say something, anything about the sexy co-host. Just, it's, you know, I set it up. And this is where you knock it out of the park or you take me out of the knees. One or the other. Come on. Uh, we've been talking Firestorm for over an hour, so I'm really just trying to, like, let's just burn through this. Okay, fair enough. So you asked about, did Jerry know he was leaving? Because um, it doesn't feel like a last issue of the guy that created the book. Yeah. No, I, I not really, no. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't really at this point. Because it, if you go back to, again, Fire and Water Podcast, episode number 19, I did a very lengthy interview with Jerry Conway. In a, and I'm, in his own words, basically, I'll tell you here, he uh, he was already working in film intelligence at the time. And about this point, he was getting burned out because he was writing Justice League Detroit. He was writing Firestorm. you know, And uh, he was experiencing a lot of writer's block on comics. And he was also going through a personal crisis. He's going through a divorce. He didn't feel like he was writing up to his personal best. So when I say, this is Shag now, so when I say the wrestling issue isn't that good, and I say that annual isn't that good, I don't feel bad saying that, because even Jerry said he wasn't writing up to his own personal best at that point. Now, going back to what Jerry said, Jerry was frustrated at that point with the editorial staff and the decisions DC was making. They were bringing in a lot of new talent, and they weren't being very particularly supportive of his work. And so first he was fired as the editor of Firestorm. He was just the writer at that point. And then things unraveled from there. Uh, eventually DC thought he should go. And so did he. They agreed on that. So, yes, so I don't think Jerry knew it was coming. So, but they both sort of like, you know, you, you both agreed that it was time for him to go. And uh, so he was, you know, essentially was off the book. And he said it was a, a, a very unpleasant experience, you know. And then he said he went through a couple dark years. However, after that, things really panned out for him. I mean, he had an incredibly successful career in television. I mean, mm-hmm. He did great. Uh, so leaving comics was actually the best thing that could have happened to him. He, and wrote, now on, we, uh, he wrote on Law and Order, which you, oh, he wrote which, a ton which, of stuff. which you mentioned uh, in the first issue. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. That's so funny. So, and now we know 30 years later that he would uh, have the opportunity to return to Firestorm with the Legends Tomorrow miniseries we talked about earlier. And uh, so, and at the time of this recording, you know, that the most recent work about Firestorm was his. So, uh, at least the big headlining story, sorry. So, that's really exciting. <sighs> so, that's a lot. Um, again, not the greatest issue. I, I actually got this in the mail via subscription. Uh, I remember this issue specifically came in with a brown wrapper. I was so excited. And I sat down and I read it while I was talking to a friend of mine and I read the whole thing in just a couple of minutes. And he thought we were chatting and I was multitasking and actually reading the comics. I was like, you just read the whole thing cover to cover. I'm like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's that important to me. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's all. That's the end of the Jerry Conway era. We're going to cover one more issue here uh, because it because this, will get us to the point where uh, Ostrander will take over next. So you want to cover this last issue, Fury Firestorm? All right. Yes, Fury Firestorm number 54 was on the shelves August 28, 1986, covered by Dennis Cowan and Rick Maggar, written by our pal Paul Kupperberg, penciler Michael Baer, and anchor Robert Allen Smith. Guitarist Steve Brockman flunks an audition with a rock band, Dejected. He vow- <laughs> Actually, that's not the name of the band. Uh, dejected. <laughs> he, he just thought it was funny. Dejected, he vows to himself to bring his music to the people. At a nightclub in Pittsburgh, Ronnie and Doreen dance the night away. Then a strange musician named Trash attacks the club, wielding a mysteriously 
mystically powerful guitar leading to a battle with Firestorm. You know, I meant to flesh out uh, the description a lot more, the, the description of the story a lot more. But quite frankly, um, this issue to me is so exhausting. Um, I've always felt this way. Uh, the fight in it lasts 17 pages, and it's really just the same problem over and over and over and over. And also Michael Baird draws all these really, really tiny lines and concentric like circles going on in colored circles. Uh, and with his, you know, it just wore, it wears me out. It makes me tired. So I didn't even bother finish writing the description on it, so I'm sorry about that. But, you know, the thing you got to take into account is – Jerry's gone very quickly. There's not even a mention in the letters page about Jerry being gone here. So this had to be pulled together very quickly. I mean, you've got to think about it. Because I looked at the, uh, the shipping dates. They didn't miss a deadline at all. In fact, it was less than 30 days that the, the next issue came out. So they did a really good job getting a story together. I mean, I imagine Paul had to write this like in an afternoon, probably kind of thing. Where, you know, Denny's like, oh, crap, Jerry's gone. Um, Paul, I need a story. And Michael Bear, you're a new guy who's going to do some work on Secret Origins. Draw me this whole you know, 22 page story right away. And Michael Baird does so much detail in his work. I got to imagine that was difficult to do. Uh, so hats off to them for the last minute fill in, but still doesn't make a very good issue. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, look, we've, we've waxed uh, Paul Coverford car oh, in absolutely. previous episodes. Yeah. This is not really, it, this is, feels like a fill in that was done at the last second, but part of the problem, aside from the story, I mean, I think the villain is this kind of like, ugh, boy, but the, um, the problem I had with it is it, I found this thing literally difficult to look at. Um, I think the combination of Michael Bear and the sinker Robert Allen Smith, who I'm unfamiliar with, is uh, – or well, Bob Smith. Actually, actually, take it back. Bob Smith, who I am familiar with. Um, but the, the combination of Michael Bear and Bob Smith is not good. Uh, I think it's – I think it's just – it's kind of an ugly-looking comic. On top of it, um, the previous issues have, have been let, were lettered by Kerry Spiegel. Uh, who is a you know experienced letterer, and then we got a new letterer here, somebody named Duncan Andrews, and the, to me the oh. lettering is ugly. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, like to me the lettering doesn't even look terribly professional. So just even if I liked Paul's story, and I'm not sure that I do, but to me just the physical act of looking at this comic book is unpleasant. And to me, and, to me it's the coloring. Is like, really what makes it so hard because all there's so much like the, all the circles, every circle is a different color. Yeah. And the circles are everywhere because that's there's, what the, the the antagonist is doing. And there's very few blacks. There's very mm. few blacks in it, so it's it's uh, it gives everything kind of like an air li- uh, air like a uh, like a translucent quality because you don't yeah. feel like any. There's no solidity to any of it. I mean, the the design of this of the trash guy is pretty kind of goofy looking. It just, I yeah, I just to me it's like just reading this was sort of painful. Yeah, and, and so yeah, again, it's. I don't blame them given the amount of time they had. So I'm not, you know, uh, then, what's that final panel firestorm flying with his legs all akimbo. I know. What is it's, that? It's really bad. That's like something really Wally bad. Wood would have drawn in a mad magazine parody of firestorm. Yeah, it's bad. Um, and, or, or it'd be like a, you know, interstitial background panel or something. Certainly not the, the last panel of the book. Now, trash, the villain here, you know, he's just, he's just bat in a hat kind of thing. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, so the, the helmet is, oh, yeah, boy. It's got a hat and it's got bat wings on it. And then at the end, I didn't even know what's going on. Until before he peels his face off at the end, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And then I realized, "Oh yeah, the main guy actually has a beard, and yet Trash right. doesn't have a beard throughout right. the episode." So I guess he's wearing a fake face as well. I don't know. It's a uh, 
Okay, Mark, there's there's this famous story someone shared with us a long time ago. I don't know. Mark Wade is the editor of Who's Who. It's apocryphal. I don't know if it's true or not. But like every time they'd be going through these stacks and stacks of, of comics to figure out what characters they had to put in Who's Who, sometimes they'd come across a villain that was a real dud. And apparently Mark Wade was known for saying, oh, this one's a dud. It must be a Firestorm villain. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if looking at this collection of villains we've seen, you know, in the last couple of days here, I mean, last couple of minutes, uh, Venom, Silver Shade, seems like Dave. Trash. What's that? As you said, you said in the last couple of days and a couple of minutes. I said it seems like it's been a couple of days. Between Venom and Silver Shade and Trash, yeah, they, there are some losers in here. Now, Moonbow's not bad, and she actually did get a Who's Who entry. But yeah, the, these others, not so good. So, um, I do think there's a couple things. One thing that's funny is on page 19, Firestorm transmutes some park benches into pillows, and the sound effect is fluff. I thought that was pretty funny. That cracked me up. And then uh, in, in the Denny O'Neill column, they do talk about the cover logos, and he actually asks for input from the readers. And please take note, folks, uh, Ryan and Chris from the Nightcast, he says that he'll be asking the same of the Batman and Detective Comics readers very, very soon. Oh, boy. Yeah. So uh, we didn't necessarily want to end on this issue. However, this is the perfect stopping point because the next batch of issues we cover on this show, which will feature uh, the Legends crossovers, which are very exciting, and the arrival of John Ostrander as at first fill-in writer and then full-time writer on the series. So we've got uh, some really, really interesting stuff ahead, Rob. I'm very excited because it gets really interesting once they bring the Russia stuff in. Um, I'm not saying that every story is great, and I'm not saying that the art improves, but I am saying some of the ideas that Ostrander brought to the book were really quite fascinating. So, woof. Well, that, folks, that was a whirlwind of eight issues. Uh, I hope you, you wore your seatbelt and made it through that. We're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we are going to cover your listener feedback. If you rebuild it, they will come. They burned it down. If you rebuild it, didn't hear them. Beg your pardon. The voice. Pete. If you rebuild it, they will come. They blew it up. If you rebuild it, they will come. They demolished it. If you rebuild it, they will come. But horror has a permanent address. Welcome to my home. The house of Frankenstein lives. You see, uh, we began a project few years ago but unfortunately it was it was interrupted and we're most anxious to take it up again in september and october the fire and water podcast network presents a supermates tradition covering four classic horror films and four related comic book adventures i must find more victims before my work is done you need look no further vampires we'll take the bat jet to the hall of justice and transform the other super friends. <laughs> Featuring an all-star cast. James Spader. What are you, crazy? Jack Nicholson. Oh, just marking my territory. Anthony Hopkins. She lives beyond the grace of God, a wanderer in the outer darkness. Lon Chaney Jr. One becomes accustomed to the darkness here. Michelle Pfeiffer. You're afraid that when it gets dark, you'll attack me. Vincent Price. Let's, sir. Uh, See what the rest of this mausoleum looks like. Gary Oldman. Enters freely of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Winona Ryder. I almost feel pity for anything so hunted as this count. Peter Cushing. I am a doctor. 
of medicine, law, and physics. To the best of my knowledge, doctorates are not awarded for witchcraft. But if ever they are, no doubt I shall qualify for one. And Keanu Reeves. Doctor! This Halloween, visit our field of screens at the scenic house of Frankenstein, where terror is only a listen away. <laughs> folks and we are going to cover your feedback from fire and water podcast number 224 yes it's a long time ago but it's the last time we covered firestorm issues we're going to start off with our buddy martin stein returns which is the nickname for robert gross who's a longtime fan of firestorm and he and i have known each other for a long time through the firestorm fan po- uh, website he says fire uh, talking about uh some of the issues that we covered last time because firestorm was absolutely uh, almost certainly depowered because he was too powerful you remember in the in the last annual they, they actually brought his power level down and said his powers came from the sun he goes on to say his powers coming from the sun was indeed ignored ever after particularly when they discovered firestorm was a fire elemental and then firestorm got his powers from the earth cough cough retcon cough cough he writes then he talks about wendy olsen who we saw in these very batch of issues uh wendy olsen should have been better developed long before oracle uh she was a well-represented portrayal of someone ordinary with a disability and it was kind of rare in comics at the time you know he's absolutely right i feel like wendy really could have been developed a lot better. In fact, I don't even know if we'll see her again uh, once the new writer takes over. We'll have to watch for that. And he says, Martin Stein dating his boss, Emily Rice, which we saw some of in these issues. He says, in today's academic climate, that would certainly have been a no-no. As I recall, Martin was not exactly enthusiastic about it at first, and uh, it's a little nice gender reversal of your usual sexual harassment scenario. That's true. He did get sort of pushed into it, and she was definitely all over him. No doubt about that. Then he says, uh, this was not Jerry Conway's best. Oh, this is sort of funny. He's talking here about the issues, but he's also sort of predicting the future. He says, this is not Jerry Conway's best work. Is an understatement. I can't wait to hear you guys take on the King Crusher wrestling issues. Yeesh. Talk about a low point in someone's career. Remember, kids, steroids are bad. Oh, and Moonbow, because a female Archer character is not totally out of place in the adventures of a nuclear man. <laughs> well, uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, like I said, I think I think Moonbow has more potential, but maybe better suited to another hero in the DC universe. You know what would have been great? A Moonbow versus Slipknot, like short there story. There you go. There that would have been that, that would have been the winning combination right there. All right. Uh, then we hear from our buddy Chuck Coletta, who recently organized the Bowling Green State University Batman Conference. And he says, whatever happened to Joe Brzezowski? Well, uh, Chuck, he went on to draw a lot of stuff for DC. He did a lot of who's who entries. Uh, unfortunately, at some point along the lines, he actually passed away. So uh, we will talk about him more as we go through and do future Firestorm stories because he stays on the book for another 15, 20 issues, something like that probably. So, uh, but yeah, he, he did eventually pass away is our understanding. So very ah. sad. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, Jeff R. says, Pre-Crisis Firestorm could theoretically make gold kryptonite, which made uh, him orders of magnitude more dangerous to Superman than any of the kryptonite-themed baddies. Even powered down the damage a rogue Firestorm could do as well, at least as much as a rogue Kryptonian. So what happens next year is, if anything, an underreaction. What happens next year? I know. I don't know what he's referring to. So if he's all right, this he's probably addressing something we said on the episode we recorded eight months ago that we don't remember. <laughs> we probably should have gone back and listened to that one, but I don't go back and listen to our old episodes because they make me sad. So uh, <laughs> sorry, Jeff. Jeff, follow up and 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 be very explicit because we're not going to go back and listen to this one either. So uh, next up is a comment from David A. Gutierrez, of course, and he says, uh, "I've always wondered how a shag solo show would sound. Now I know." 
I hope I hope I hope Rob got a lot done during this episode. The gutters need cleaning. Old food need to get tossed out of the crisper tray in the fridge. I hope Rob managed to get his flu shot too. <sighs> Whatever. Whatever. Hope you enjoy your desert. Uh, anyway, uh, then we're from Brian Linton. It says, after a year-long hiatus, this was a good series of issues to review. Seeing the return of so many familiar villi- villains helped to jog my memory regarding everything that had happened previously in the title. Yeah, because last time we covered, you know, that Blue Devil Firestorm crossover where fire- all of Firestorm's enemies came together. So, then we heard from Ward Hill Tell- Terry, which you know is interesting. Ward Hill T- Terry wrote this eight months ago. Since then, we've met him and had dinner with him, mm-hmm. which is nice. He says, I know I stopped buying Firestorm around this time. There have been no consistent in the art for several issues, and the stories were kind of blah. And for me, the change in locale, I have nothing against Pittsburgh. I think it would have been uh, all for a change. I would have all been for a change in Ronnie's life if he had initiated it. I just realized how passive a character Ronnie Riemann was. However, the idea was that he was going off to college with his girlfriend and his mentor and his rival and et cetera, et cetera, was just a little too forced for me. Now, he says, regarding George Tuska, I admit I can recall being disappointed when I saw his pencils on a favorite book, mostly because he was used as a fill-in artist. So a lot of my disappointment was because of the, quote, real artist's work wasn't in that month's book. I am actually quite fond of some of the Avengers' work that uh, George Tuska did, and I appreciate what he could do. I I imagine that he must have had a really short deadline for the Firestorm stories, and he wasn't from the fan generation. When folks like us would become pros, we know how a character looks – uh, who's blonde, who has blonde hair, whose costume's been updated, et cetera, et cetera. But poor George Tuska must have had a script and had just a script and a pile of reference material thrust at him and saying, quote, we need a Tuesday. Make the guy look older than that guy. <laughs> You're probably right, Ward. He probably had no idea what he was getting into when he took the assignment, but it was just knew he, they knew he was fast. Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. I'm a fan of George Suska, but just the stuff we've seen him do, you're like, this is just not the right combination here. Yeah. Um, Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog and Comic Books Commentary and a member of the Legion of Superbloggers, of course, said he forgot to mention that the punch-in-the-face tactic is always scary to me. What if uh, she didn't get knocked out and instead was still conscious but now with a broken jaw? How do you explain that? Anyway, you better be pretty confident that you can one-punch your father's fiance <laughs> if you pull that strategy. <laughs> And, of course, he's talking about when Ronnie punched out Felicity specifically so he could transform into Firestorm without her realizing it. What? That should have ended up in the lawsuit, too. Uh, Tim Price says, thank you for pointing that out, Ange. I know it's a trope from movies and comics forever, but the knock them out to keep them out of trouble thing is just as scary and dangerous in the real world. You're not wrong, Tim. You're not wrong. Then we heard from Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. Uh, we, you and I had disagreed about the inking on some of those issues last time. And he says, I like Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey's inks. They were Rom's secret weapon. Look at that. All right. And he says, I know I harp on this a lot, but I really miss subplots in comics. Few writers bother even trying to do them these days, and when they do, they can't necessarily pull them off. They should look at the, at the, at the work to be done here. Jerry was a master of the soap. Uh, A plot, B plot that will likely become the A plot, C plot with a supporting cast. How hard can it be? 70s Marvel writers regularly did wonders in just 17 pages. You know, you are absolutely right, Martin, and I miss the subplots too. And you can see it all. Jerry is an exceptional writer. Again, like you said, the A plot, the B plot, and the C plot are all there. Also, the the beginning, middle, and end structure of acts and everything. Jerry is a master, and so many people could take lessons from reading his old stuff. Agreed. Absolutely. Uh, he also mentions, uh, he says, I always liked Alan Kupperberg's art from the Invaders on. I hope he's still drawing merrily in heaven. 
That's, that's a nice thought, uh, Martin. I, I appreciate that. I, I liked Alan Coverberg's work. And, of course, Alan Coverberg is the, the brother of Paul Coverberg, who we just mentioned. Uh, by the way, he says, in the feedback, Rob says Zantana. That's such a common misspeak. Even my chap Steve, not a comics reader, says it. I'm not having a go. I just wonder if anyone has an idea as to why the extra N gets in there. It's not like Zatanna is any other word uh, is in is like any other word the side of Zatara. We need the Legion of Lunatic Lexicographers. Oh my um, gosh! <laughs> I, I will say I think I tend to say Zantana. I don't think I do though. Maybe I, I guess I do. I think I say Zatanna, but I think maybe I threw an N in there because Zatanna uh, first appeared in JLA. Started showing up in JLA in the late '70s. And that was right around the time that Gilda Radner was on Saturday Night Live playing Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. And it just, yeah. <laughs> those two things sound the same. And, in fact, Fred Hembeck made that connection himself in a Hembeck strip where he uh, said, my name is like – my name is Rosanza Tana Dana or something. So oh, I was funny. not the only person. So I think if I am interjecting an N in, in her name, maybe I think that's the reason why because I watched the hell out of the original SNL. I was thinking Santana would have been the, where, where <laughs> it was coming could be that from. too, yeah. Hey, yeah. como va? <laughs> well, uh, also then, and I'm not really going to talk about this in any length, but in the comments, you should definitely go check out the comments again. Issue uh, episode 224. Uh, Zoom Uh from the Done in One Wonders podcast, Wonder Show. Uh, Zoom has an eidetic memory. The guy remembers everything he sees, and there he identified over a dozen different swipes that Joe Brzezowski did in those issues. Uh, primarily, he was uh, swiping from Neil Adams and Pat Broderick. So go back there. You can check out the comments in episode 224. You know, Zoom detailed them, tells you the page number, everything. It's quite stunning to see. He, he includes the images. Um, uh, and again, we're not going to belabor it anymore. Uh, but and going forward, in fact, if any time we start talking about Joe swiping, I'm just going to refer people to the comments on that episode so that we don't have to uh, continue to beat on poor Joe, who's not with us anymore. So oh, when Zoom gets on a subject, man. Why? Watch out. Oh, man. And his memory is just astonishing. Like he, can, he can look at an image and go, you know, oh, yeah, that's from a one panel of Green Lantern by <laughs> Neil Adams from 1974. Like, <laughs> what? Wow. So, okay. Anyway, folks, that is going to do it. Thank you so much for your feedback. Um, we, oh, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. We have a couple more comments. I am so sorry. Um, I, well, I... I got so excited about the Zoom swipes. So uh, our buddy Tim Price did write lots of interesting issues covered here. And, of course, my man Blue Devil is in the mix, and it made me very happy. So you can count on me to keep pressuring Shag to start up the Devil cast. You know, Tim, I do have some plans in my head about Blue Devil. I don't know when they can come to fruition, but I have some plans about Blue Devil in my head. Then uh, now our last comment, Luke Dobb from Dobb Creative. It was great conversations, fun to catch up with our favorite Flamehead superhero, and I want to read that Tom Zoller letter now. Ha! Thanks for entertaining me on a cold, gray day. Aw. Well, we hope we entertained you today as well, Luke. And I did send him a scan of a Tom Zoller letter today. So look at that. Eight months later, I fulfilled his wish with a different letter. So. All right, now that's going to do it. Now, Rob, where can they go to see, uh, at the very minimum, the covers of these issues? I don't know if I'm going to include any of the interior art. Um, maybe, I, maybe I'll include that one panel that, that really bothered you. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, uh, it's mainly just going to be covers. So where can they find those, Rob? Uh, you go to our website, which is, of course, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and look for the accompanying gallery post to this episode. Yep. And then uh, where can people find us on uh, the Internet, Rob? Well, I just social said media. I just said firewaterpodcast.com well, and social media. Okay, all right. And on Twitter at FW Podcast, on Patreon, of course, as we said, patreon.com slash FW Podcast, and on Facebook as well. 
There we go, folks. Uh, you can find me at Firestorm Fan if you want to talk specifically about Firestorm. And I want to know your thoughts on these issues. I want to know your thoughts on your love for Firestorm and how exciting it is to be talking about this character again and what you're looking forward to maybe even with the John Ostrander stuff. So uh, if you want to hear it in the feedback of the next episode, be sure to leave it on our website. Otherwise, we can just chat on social media. That's going to do it, folks. Until next time, fan the flame. And fan the flame a little more. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. <coughs> what do you think I am? <coughs> A rhododendron? <coughs> so sorry, Firestorm. Fortunately, it's only plant food. Yeah, but it's organic. My powers are neutralized. <coughs> <coughs>